Welcome back to the Turner Podcast, everybody. With uh, I'm Ethan, and with me, as always, is Kevin. Howdy, everybody. And uh, we have one more episode with Alex. Uh, we're going to talk. We've talked about. I guess as a recap, we've talked about milling process. We've talked about products. And uh, Kevin, I guess now we're going to talk a little bit about the wheat specifically that he's using. Yeah, you know we've we we've like Ethan said we've started. It from the milling front, from harvest to milling to product, and now we thought we'd kind of mill around into <laughs> no pun intended, right? But I'm pumped. Sorry, that's two that's th- two thirds of a pun. <laughs> anyway, so we thought we'd talk about maybe types of wheat the the mill is looking for um, from like a, not, not a variety specific, but maybe more of a type of wheat specific, if that makes sense, what types of wheat they're looking for, as well as to maybe touch on some, some um, quickly on some different other products or um, like whole wheat bread and such like that. And so, but Alex, let's, let's dive into, um, you know, the, the types of wheat, you know, you, you, we, we touched on spring wheat, and, and durum wheat. What about a uh, white wheat? Like a hard white wheat, you mean? Yeah. Well, I, I guess either, either one, you know, out here in Southwest Kansas, we grow hard, hard white winter wheat, but, um, <laughs> Say that five times fast. <laughs> yeah. You got hard white and you got soft white. Right. Right. Two very, and so is, is soft white Durham or no? No. Okay. Durham, Durham has its own classification altogether. Um, soft white, uh, just for sake of argument, is going to be very low protein and think angel food cake and uh, wedding cake. Like a really fluffy, very, very white, very, you know, a lot of high ratio cake flours. Yeah. Now that kind of okay. a deal. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, like down here we grow hard red spring and a little bit of hard red winter. So I know nothing about white wheat. I'm, I'm not even sure why we call it red. There's not much why there's nothing red in it you know I mean, <laughs> well so anyway so, I, you know um I, I guess if if kevin has a farm and mm-hmm. you know does it make a difference if i grow white wheat or red wheat well, let's just throw the <laughs> throw this question off the bow and <laughs> and see because yeah. you know i've got farmers that because out here we have a niche for white wheat, Alex. Um, mm-hmm. We have a seed producer. You know, he, he produces white wheat, and if it is put through this elevator, then they get a premium on it, right? Mm-hmm. But most farmers don't get the protein premium. You know, when they take it to the elevator, we don't get paid on, or they do not get paid on the protein level in the wheat, even though, you know, obviously – the elevator is selling it based on protein as, as we talked earlier, you know, well, it is. And it, I mean, Slide it, of the hand. It, it, it'll start a fist fight if <laughs> in some cases, you know, right. But so, <laughs> so you know, Kevin, why is there an agronomic reason why you choose besides in user premium to do white wheat versus red wheat? A lot of it is the premium. Uh, okay. Secondly though, I would say that we have a couple of white wheats that are really hardy and don't have as many disease problems in our part of the world and will will 
produce a, a more of a top end yield compared to some of the red products that we grow out here. Um, but, so that's why it's appealing to you as a farmer in Southwest Kansas. Yeah. But a lot of it, I mean, you have to be careful because you can't, I said, you can't, you're not supposed to, you, you're not supposed to show up with a load of white wheat to a facility. They can't like separate it out. <laughs> I, yeah. I, I could see where that would be an issue, <laughs> but Anyway, so back it's like to showing the, up to the grocery store with a load of squash when they ask for zucchini. Yeah. It's not the same thing, boys. So, Alex, you know, for a farmer, and I know, I know this is generic. I know we're getting into the weeds, but like, you know, is would there be a reason that you're looking for white wheat, or, or should they consider it if they can grow white wheat? Um, go with that. Uh, First and foremost, uh, you got to make money, right? That's got to be at the, the very core of what you're trying to do. So if you have a niche and you have somebody that's willing to pay for it and that can make sense for you, um, sure, um, go ahead. I know that um, from my standpoint, what I, my understanding of hard white wheat, um, I don't know who your elevator's end uh, customer is if it's just mm -hmm. sold on the market and maybe they have a contract with somebody. I, I don't know what that looks like. Um, I know from my standpoint, um, hard white wheat was something that was, uh, we grew or developed, uh, because of, uh, if you think back into the early two thousands and late nineties, um, what kind of breads were considered healthy? They were whole wheat breads. Whole wheat used to be healthy. Um, that was, you know, a trend that was there for a while. So the problem was that people didn't like the taste, the bitter taste associated with whole wheat breads. So, um, you touched Ethan a little bit on, um, on the, on the coloring. Well, the brand coat, that red coat or anything of the red class or variety, the brand is bitter in taste. Um, there we so go. So what they did is they, they developed a, uh, a hard white wheat with uh, a white brand coat, basically, that's not going to taste as bitter. Um, and that's, that's how that's been used in, in whole wheat products specifically. Um, now it is a little bit higher in, in protein. Um, I'm not, I can't think of what it is off the top of my head. What, what say, average crop would be. You'd probably know better than me. Um, but from our facility and my standpoint, um, with the decline of, of whole wheat popularity. Um, I don't know. You'd have to take, I mean, if that premium is still there, great. But if that premium started to slide and decline and, and it's more of a, you know, a more comparable price, unless, unless you are making better yield, because that's going to be your, you know, if you're, well, if that's a hearty plant and, and you know that that's going to work, there's value in that too. It's no um, different than, like let's say corn hybrids, you know, you grow a corn hybrid cause it does well and it does what you want and maybe it holds disease and pests out. Right. Mm -hmm. So it works for you on my farm, you know what I mean? And so what you're saying is if it works for you, then continue to do it. Yeah. But, um, like but I said, I'm just curious cause you know, I've got that question from a few farmers or, you know, they, they wish that they could be tested on protein and bought, you know, sold on the open market based on, protein alone but it's it's not there yet not no no unfortunately the way the system works you know i mean you're, you guys are know all too well 
basically that, uh, yeah, they're going to sell it based on protein and that small country elevator is going to then turn around and, and get that to a larger elevator. That's going to blend it all together and they're going to have a regional average and that's how they're going to sell it. Um, so unless the farmer is big enough to be able to jump into those, um, those areas, um, it's going to be tough for them to, to gain from that. Um, unfortunately, um, so I, I want to unpack something real quick. So uh, let's think about this. So in the late 90s and early 2000s, there was a demand for whole wheat flour. So uh, they bred a, you know, plant breeders developed a variety that was, that suited the customer's needs. You know, so you think about it in that way. The, the end user is demanding a product that went trickled down all the way to the plant breeding um, uh, aspect of the ag industry and then you have um you know because of, of it when it was being bred you know because this breeding was didn't you know take place in the days of norman borlaug and it took place in the late 90s and 2000s they were able to make a better variety quicker so now you have a demand from a grower level because there's there's good traits and genes and tolerances built in it and now you have a potential collapse in the market because the end user, mm-hmm. when you have a superior variety, like, you know, not that that matters a lot, but just think of that, those dynamics of how it, it comes. There's two different poles pulling these things. There's the end user, what they want, and there's the grower you, you know, wanting to do what they want because it's profitable. There's less inputs, drought tolerance, whatever it is, you know, uh, it's just an interesting dynamic that, Alex has to deal with that. Maybe we don't, um, you know, he, what does the customer want and what is the producer producing? You know, for sure. For sure. Yeah. And, and consumer is always going to drive that whatever they want. Um, that's going to be very, very important. Um, yeah. A, a, a great way for a farm to go out of business is produce something he can't sell. For sure. Exactly. You, know, exactly. I mean, you, you can make, you know, you know, eight, you know, 10,000 pound peanuts, which don't exist, but, if you don't have, if there's no demand for those peanuts, then, you know, what do you do? Exactly. So, I mean, to, to you, Kevin, uh, on your farm, I mean, me not knowing what that wheat actually goes to, um, it's, it's gotta be cost effective for you. For sure. For sure. Well, so let's go, let's dive into more. What, what types of wheat are, are you looking for? You know, and maybe maybe another thing to just point out is Alex and I have had conversation back and forth, and then he he'll he'll talk to me and he'll say, "Man, the the wheat we got we're in now is just so low protein." And I'm I'm like, "Yeah, that was you know a year or two ago, and <laughs> we had really high yields, right? So yeah. typically when we have high yields, it's low protein." And if we get a lot of stress, <laughs> then yeah. we have abundant protein, and then you got this delay, and 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 then this evolving process of the mill, or Alex's process. You know, okay, I need so much of this pro- type of protein, so much of this to make what I need to make, and it it is just crazy. And and maybe a year or two is is too much, but I know specifically he was talking one time about. T- uh, a lot of particles and, and like dirt and stuff. And I'm like, well, yeah, we had so much weed out here. It was piled on the ground everywhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly right. But um, yeah, I mean, from a, 
wheat producing standpoint, um, from what I've seen in this, I think this is across the U.S. Um, I mean, you obviously, as a, the farmers have seen record years um, in the last couple of years of, of production and, and great yields. Unfortunately, I think the, the wheat market was down or just there was that much volume that had manipulated it to where they didn't make as much money on it. Um, that's unfortunate. Um, also unfortunate for us is that a lot of that was um, sub-average protein. Now, if I was going to throw a number out, hard red winter protein that I'm targeting, just in general, um, typically um, I'm looking for a 12 pro wheat, hard red winter. That's, okay. that's my target. Now, if I'm talking about spring, I'm probably talking about, say, 14 pro. Um, soft red winter down in Texas is more like 10. Now, I'm going to call those averages, and we, as a business, if we're doing our job, we are watching what's in the ground at what time, when are they getting rains, what's, what's going to happen with this, do we need to get dry? I mean, not that we can control those things, um, but we, we look a lot ahead. Of, we, we look ahead all the time of what, what's going to be in the market. Um, what we've seen the last three years are probably crop average of 11 protein hardwood winter and then okay. even as low as 10, 10, 5. Um, oh, wow. and, I mean, you, you see a lot of that. I mean, it depends on the areas that you're drawing from. Um, but yeah, with, with that, um, we went back to the, we talked a little, about, a little bit about the customers. That's got to be a pretty serious conversation of, uh, well, uh, the protein's not there. Uh, this is a natural growing thing that I cannot control. Um, how do we go about this? What, what do you have to do to your product to make this work? Mm -hmm. Because um, there, this, this protein level that you used to get doesn't exist. Um, so, that would be a heck of a lot easier if they were, if they were getting, you would get, you being the end user of our business would get more consistent product if our customers got paid <laughs> on protein. It would, it would make it. Yes and no. Yes and no. Cause I mean, mother nature is going to dictate a lot of that. For sure. Right. So you're telling me you just can't like go to the GNC and buy some whey protein <laughs> The flower. Hey boys. There, there are artificial, there are artificial things you can put in there to enhance the, uh, the, the uh, protein basically that's called vital wheat gluten. And you can actually, you can put that in there, but it costs a lot of money. They basically, well, I'm assuming you would rather blend it with the naturally with the grain that you have in the elevator, just from a crop, a, a cost standpoint. If you can. Yeah, absolutely. So um, Alex, you know, you, you've said that, let, let's say that our, our protein level is down, right? <laughs> where do you gain it? Where, 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 where are you grabbing to pull to boost your protein? You know what I mean? Uh, like you've got low protein, let's say in your bin <laughs> or, or on the car. <laughs> How do you, what are you going to do to get that protein up? Like um, what type of weed are you looking for? You know, you just talked about a product that you, you add, you know, a protein additive, let's call it that. So that, that decision has got to be made at the bakery as far as that vital wheat gluten, as far as getting, gaining on our protein. Um, now, for example, this last year um, we see, and we see the crop coming in we see low protein and we're sitting there saying, okay, uh, how do we bump this up? The first thing we, 
you have to do and any company would do is go to the customer and see if there's any wiggle room there. Oh, okay. um, uh, see if there's, if you're allowed to drop at all. Um, on the other side of it, sometimes you got to jump into the commodities market, take it in the teeth on a couple purchases. Cause somewhere there's going to be some, some high protein stuff. I mean, sure. so if I'm, if I'm, if I'm looking for 12 pro hard red winter average and the world is producing 10, five, I better figure out how to get some, some high stuff to blend in there. Even if it's like, at, you know, 15 to 25% to get that level up to where it's acceptable with the customer. Um, there's also other conversations you can have with um, depending on the end product, you can mix spring in there, hard red spring. So that's tip. I mentioned the protein ranges average is about 14. That's been very good the last couple of years. I think this last year has actually been exceptionally high and the spring market per protein has been fairly low. So you can kind of get a lower protein spring wheat and kind of blend that in, assuming the customer is okay with it. And, uh, and there's no um, issues with, with those tests that they, that they are asking for verification on and assuming um, that they're capable of handling that, that blend change. Um, then you can do that. That's a, that's a very common thing. Um, you just kind of have to make sure you're on the same page with them. Um, you don't, you can't just throw that in there and expect sure. them to deal with For it. Sure. Surprise. Yeah. Um, that's pretty weak. So when, when you purchase wheat, we're talking about everything is revolved around protein, right? But you know, if you go on the board of trade, <laughs> it's a bushel of wheat. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. so when, when you purchase it, let's say that you're buying it from Ethan, do you already know what the protein level is when it comes in or do you, you have to wait till you test it on the car or on the truck? When it comes uh, in? The way that typically goes is on the market, they're buying it uh, uh, based on grade class uh, okay. and protein. You know, they're looking at those, uh, those things that are commonly listed on the, on the, on the market. Um, and then typically what you do is you bought it accordingly and then you take that in and you start taking averages as you're unloading it. Yeah. And then, so you have a, a origin grade and then you have a destination grade. Yeah. So if there's a huge variance, I mean, that keeps everybody honest, right? Uh, so you're not, you're not just going out there and saying, eh, this is fine. Don't worry about it. Uh, and then it comes in and it's, and it's garbage. I mean, that's got to come out of somewhere and that's, that's, you, there's kind of a checks and balances there for, for that. Sure. Um, for sure. not so much in, I mean, protein that happens. Um, a lot of times you'll see that in like, uh, vomitoxin levels that yeah. they test for or uh, IDK insect damage kernels um, that kind of a thing um, dockage I you know that, that <laughs> <laughs> sorry but yeah I mean that, that those are all things that are double checked because nobody wants to uh, I mean you're not going to operate on with that amount of money on good faith oh, um, for sure. so you got to figure out how to protect yourself a little bit yeah Well, you know, um, so it is basically, you know, regardless of the type of wheat that comes in for you, it's all about the, the producer or excuse me. Yeah. Basically taking the producer's wheat and the, the end product goal and it's all built around protein level is all the, the that's, that's your battle daily, right? is is making sure that you get a specific protein rather than oh rather than i guess excuse me rather than specifically 
asking for spring wheat or white wheat or red wheat. Am I um, saying that? Sort of. I mean, at the, I think that the wheat class is more important than the protein. To, okay. To be honest. Oh, um, okay. I wasn't um, expecting that answer. Yeah. Um, because, um, and, and that kind of goes back to that test I referred to in the, the last session um, where you're talking about sustainability of the flour and, and um, of it, the, the mixability and, and when it falls apart, we talk about the strength of the flour. Now spring has a, a, is a very strong gluten because it's higher in protein. Now, just because I found a 12 protein hard red spring doesn't mean I can just blend that with hard red winter and there's not going to be a difference because where that is where your protein machine is going to lie to you a little bit. Whereas you start grinding the flour and you do your bake test or you do your, your mixing tests and it's going to tell you what's really going on. Right. Um, and, and, and that, that is, that is something that, that comes up. I mean, um, I mean, that, that you have to, that, that's why those tests exist. Um, so that we know how that's affecting everybody because there's always going to be wheat blending to an extent. So I, I would assume that when you add gluten, your performance of the flour will change. Uh, on the bake side, you mean? Yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, when it, yeah. Okay. Yes. So when, when you know, we, you're, you've got Ethan as an end user, right? Mm -hmm. And do you, do you blend a small amount to send to him to do these baking tests before he purchases it? Is yeah, that before you, before oh. you make like 10,000 pounds of this flour that I'm going to tell you I can't eat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So a, bit, a very, um, a very big uh, facet of of our business is the the lab, um, and we have at every facility in our company, we have a lab that is testing the flour, and they do a lot of proactive reaching out to the customer of, okay, um, we made this blend, and here is some free flour, and it's a should be a short run for you. See what this does. Will this work for you? Because this is what would make sense for us. Can you make this work? Um, so yeah, there's a lot of that. And you kind of give a, give away flour a little bit to make sure that there's no big, big mistakes, you know, so you, yeah. so you can uh, get ahead of the game like that. So yeah, you, you have to be very proactive with that. So we talked about dockage at the farmer level at the elevator. Is there an equivalent to that for you? Like say I have these parameters um, as a, Ethan and Kevin's tortilla factory mm -hmm. and you can, you, you know, we agree upon uh, a different set of parameters. Is there like a dockage because of that? Uh, to, to, is there a dockage to you, you know, or maybe a reduced, uh, reduced price that I'm paying as a, as a tortilla factory or. Potentially. Okay. Um, I didn't know if that was a thing or not, you know? Yeah. Um, I'll say this in, Yes, in, in a very well-known thing, like I had already mentioned, low-protein year. Uh, in the last couple of years, price of wheat has also gone down. Gone down. So there's been several agreements where, yeah, everybody's you know, everybody's price drops a little bit, and sure. because we're asking them to take a lower protein, yeah, they're going to ask for a little bit less uh, cost on their end. So because yeah, you're, um, you're you're buying less protein, I guess. Mm -hmm. So you're going to have to, okay, that makes sense. It's not necessarily a dockage. It's just yeah, it, it, the dockage that the, the grower gets translates to all the way down a, a lower price yeah. through the food chain. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Okay. 
we should just really not call them dockages at the elevator anymore. It's just, <laughs> I mean, it's just your wheat's less valuable, so the flour's less valuable. So <laughs> the you know, so the the baker or bread maker is going to have to do more um, buy more additives or or whatever to to, to produce a consistent um, product to put on the shelves of the grocery store. You know. Yeah, I mean, if I'm doing my job, all the all, everything that you refer to as dockage isn't making it to the to the mill process because I'm right. cleaning okay. it up. So okay. uh, I'm doing everything I can to get that out of there. The the fear on that side is you're buying, you're spending a whole lot of money on stuff that's not making it to the mill. So you're buying a, a, based on weight because um, of the volume, the bushels. Um, and if and if there's a whole bunch of stones in there, then I it seems like a, I bought a whole lot more wheat. When really I didn't get that much wheat. Right. So, so that's, that's if you're a wheat grower, throw rocks in the <laughs> You heard it from the man. Please, please. <laughs> Make him buy rocks. <laughs> well, please you know, it's, it's like we talked earlier. No matter how, okay, if on, on Ethan's farm, no matter how clean the product goes into the truck and the elevator, that that's just one leg of the trip, <laughs> you yeah. know, out there's, of a, eight, there's 18 yeah. more. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Who, who knows what, what happened, you know, it started out really clean, but then, you know, transportation and mold. It sits on, yeah. You know. yeah. It sits on the, the, you know, in a pile outside of the elevator for yeah. 18 months. So cool. Um, well, so what other aspects, I mean, we've hit most of the thing of what we want to talk about, but is there any more aspects of the wheat itself you're looking for that you you uh, will find important, Alex? I think one thing that I thought was really interesting is I I went on a, a crop tour a couple of years ago, and I, I thought it was very interesting. It was kind of an education for me uh, to look at the varieties of wheat that are being grown. Um, and one of the, you look at the characteristics and, and that's when you start talking about your resistance to, to disease, your potential yield, what, what kind of environments is it going to thrive under? Um, and one of the things that finally made it on that characteristic sheet was around that time was bakeability. That became a characteristic in the past. Everything was geared towards production in the field and yield in the field and, and how much, um, you know, you're going to find something that's hardy that's going to survive, but there's also some of some very, very popular varieties grown in Kansas that are still grown that, you know, they're not the best for a baker as far as the end product. Um, so, I mean, that, that, that was just very interesting to me. I feel like with this day and age, it's causing less separation from farmer to miller to baker. It's actually kind of condensing all that to, go all the way back to the farmer and say, listen, if we can get you, maybe, maybe there is a, maybe in the future, there's a premium for, for not growing, you know, uh, low protein or low baking quality wheat, you know, because yeah. there's not going to be a need for it. Um, we're not there yet, but I just thought it was very interesting how things have trended kind of in that direction. I know that's not at the heart of it. I could mention to Kevin, you got to make money as a farmer. That, that should be your end goal. Absolutely. Um, I think with, as time goes on, you're going to see more, more condensing of those different fields. Yeah, you know we're, we're already seeing that right now. Like there's a big trend. Let's call it farm to table. People mm-hmm. want to know where, it, like where it come from, how it was treated, and then what is it? You know, how does that look on my table? Yeah, you know, and, and what what am what am I, the consumer, willing to? Uh, 
pay for that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's something we've dealt with with vegetables, you know, all the time is it's not just about pounds of squash. It's about how pretty the squash looks. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't want this nasty looking you know, nutritionally. There's nothing wrong with it, but if it doesn't look pretty. No one's going to want to buy it mm-hmm. for sure. You know, so, and, and it seems to be correlating more with like what you're talking about when the grain market flyer market, that that's kind of cross pollinating, uh, so to speak with other crops, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, another big thing that I'm sure you saw in the vegetable market is traceability. What, I mean, where did this come from? I mean, oh, for sure. Some, sometimes it's just advertising of, Hey, this is locally grown and this yeah. and that, but imagine a world where, um, where me, as I'm grinding X amount of bushels a day, if I was asked to figure out what fields those came from. Yeah. I mean, that, that side of it, um, it, it's a scary, scary thought. Um, but I'm sure everybody would enjoy that, but the logistics of it is <laughs> terrifying. Um, you know, that's been in the cotton market for decades. You can, you know, the, the bell, the gin bell that is uh, sent to a, uh, um, a yarn maker that makes the yarn that's going to in turn make in the fabric. They can track that to the farm number. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's so yeah, there's actually a QR code that on John Deere's, the John Deere's new uh, baler pickers and stripper baler, uh, stripper pickers, stripper, stripper balers and picker balers that spits out on every round um, that stream on that a little bit. But uh, prior to that, everything has a tag. You can, you can track every, um, everything directly to the farm number of the, that it's, that it's assigned by the FSA. So, um, wow. it's, you know, yeah. So I, I don't know how you do that on grain. I mean, right. cotton, it's you know, it's, it's a little more, yeah. Uh, you code on every kernel. Yeah. So you, you take a bale of cotton, you clean it and make it a smaller bale with no seats. Like it, it's, it's continually is packaged similarly, but I mean, I don't know how you're going to do that on grain. I mean, it would, it, yeah. if you think about the typical setup of the country elevator, um, they're just taking everything in and they're not going to have the storage to separate everything. I mean, that that's no. the, the infrastructure we have doesn't really support it right now. Um, so that so the, the grow, growing into that type of a yeah. um, process would be very difficult right now anyway. You would have to settle for a region. Does this wheat come from yeah. this four county region? Yeah. You know, that's probably as best as you're going to get it right now. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. And and that's, that's something that, I mean, we, we do that to an extent just because you do see variability in, in proteins and stuff based on draw areas. So you kind of have a map of different yeah. draw areas and you say, okay, this is where the good protein is this year. We got to make sure we got that coming in. And, um, but to the all the way back to the farmer. I mean, that's still that's <laughs> yeah, that's impossible. Yeah, right. sometimes they have a hard enough time keeping the corn out of the wheat, much less <laughs> yeah, this yeah. county's wheat out of this next county's wheat. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So well, well Alex. Um, um, once again, we I know this one's a little bit shorter, but um, we we wanted to add one more to our three. Um, consecutive podcasts about milling. Um, we really appreciate you um, taking the time to be here and, and to answer questions. And uh, thank you. I appreciate you guys having me. 
Yeah, thanks a lot, man. This is uh, this has been very educational, very interesting, um, and hopefully, this is something that our listeners can build upon and understand another aspect of the agriculture industry. You guys uh, if you've got any questions, comments, uh, please send them to media at cropquest.com. And as always, you can find us on Facebook and Twitter. So, all right, guys, we'll see you all next time. See ya. Our business is knowing the business of growing. We take pride in your success, being better than the rest. Crop West has the answer.